Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus, and we're here to talk about him this morning. Uh, Welcome back home, all you who are on the Mexican missions trip. Great to have you back. Wonderful to hear the testimonies about those who were blind, but now they see in more than one way, and that's so wonderful, so wonderful. And don't forget, we can always be on a mission trip right here in our own neighborhood. There are people around us everywhere, everywhere that need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be inspired by those who come back and they're on fire to share the gospel. I heard a good story last week because, you know, I've been encouraging everyone just to step out a little bit, be bold. So this was someone who went to a garage sale and said, oh, I'm going to step out and just start talking a little bit about the blessings that God bestows. And turned out, after sharing and talking about the gospel, uh, this person left the garage sale with things they didn't even have to pay for because this person was so moved who owned the garage and was having the sale, they started giving things away. And I thought, well, that's great. You come, you share the, you share the gospel, you step out a little boldly, and you leave with a great blessing. Now, I know that's not going to happen to every one of us, and that shouldn't be our motivation that someone would give us something. But you just never know when you step out. So let's keep staying bold and uh, keep praying what we've been praying since the start of the year from Acts chapter 4. Pray with me. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Amen. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Now, uh, you know, I've been talking to you for the past several weeks about construction. It's orange barrel season. And I've been using construction as a picture, uh, a metaphor for God's divine work in our own life, construction on ourselves. But uh, the reality of construction is something that we all have to deal with Now, I'm not making this up. I saw this very headline yesterday. Actually, it was probably this morning because I'm a midnight snacker, and uh, I was having a little midnight snack, and I like to just catch up, read, and I saw this headline, not fabricated. This isn't from uh, The Onion where they're making satire and all that. It says, man celebrates potholes birthday. I said, I got to read that article. Now, this guy, he had such a a terrible road in front of his house, and the pothole had been there so long, he decided not only to to have a birthday party for it, but he named it. A very simple name, Pothole. Uh, But... The article says a Kansas City, Missouri resident is celebrating a pothole's existence by throwing it a birthday party. Frank Serrano is drawing attention to treacherous road conditions on his street 
in hopes of gaining the attention of city officials. I'm going to have a celebration for pothole. Sereno told reporters, I got some cake, lit a candle, and had a little birthday party for pothole. Been around so long that he was celebrating it in order to get people's attention. Now, you might be thinking that about our very own parking lots. You know, Shaner Road uh, last year was so terrible. When you drove into Bethesda's parking lot, you thought, hey, this is pretty nice, pretty smooth. But, you know, the city and the county went ahead and fixed up Shaner, and it's nice and smooth. And now you pull into our parking lots, and, you know, you might be saying, ah, we should have a birthday party for that pothole over there. Well, I want to tell you that I've heard from a few of you who've asked, and we are going to put up some orange barrels, so I want you to be ready later uh, next month. Today's still June, so in July, you may see some orange barrels and pylons popping up. You may see the north entrance closed for a while, and then the south entrance and then some of the parking lots uh, blocked off as we uh, do what we can to repair some of these potholes. If you've named them, you're going to see them gone. So you'll be having not the birthday party for the pothole, but the morning funeral celebration. It's gone. It'll be gone, okay? So I want you to know that. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you to all of you. We're not going to do something, uh, you know, anything special in terms of uh, keeping this in front of you. I mentioned a few months ago about our uh, need for heating and cooling units. And I'll tell you what, I said it once and so many of you responded uh, with a little help. So God bless you. And I know that will continue because you're uh, so, so faithful a people. And uh, we want this church and the grounds to be as best they can, and we are doing our best to keep them maintained, so look forward to some of those orange barrels, uh, and in the meantime, we're going to keep talking about God uh, working on us, and today it's, it's the conclusion. I'm bringing to you the conclusion of this series under construction, and I want you to know as we move into summer, I'm going to get back on the plan, so y'all have a plan on the back of your bulletin, we've been reading through the Bible chronologically this year. I haven't mentioned it uh, as much as I did last year because last year as we read through the Bible together every single week, we brought a message from our reading. But for the summer, we're gonna get back on the plan. So pay attention to it, look through it, look at this week and read it. And maybe uh, we'll be talking about... Uh, Maybe Jonah might be a hint to you, uh, but we're in the prophets and the kings, and there's so much we can gain from that. So that's also something to keep in front of you. But today, the conclusion of under construction. And our example from the Old Testament about construction has been this character, this man named Job. Job, who had been uh, living so righteously before God, but admittedly, he lived in fear. What was Job afraid of? Well, Job 3.25 tells us that Job said, what I feared 
has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. And then later in Job 31, verse 23, he said, for I dreaded destruction from God. So it's interesting to read Job's thoughts that he was fearing this, if you will, construction in his life, God coming and uh, heaping what Job would say is destruction. Job feared that the blessings that he enjoyed, he was a blessed man, he was a wealthy man, that they would be eliminated, taken away. The blessings of his financial prosperity, his thriving posterity of 10 children, his fawning popularity from all those in the city who would come to hear him when he sat in the city gate, he feared all of that would be destroyed. And then, of course, we know, because we've talked about it, that the Lord took the initiative. The Lord suggested Job's name to, of all creatures, the devil. He said, devil, there's no one like Job. He's blameless, and he's upright, and he honors God, and he shuns evil. And the devil said, that's because you protect him. Lift your hedge of protection from around this guy named Job. Take away uh, that protection and his blessings. He'll curse you to your face. And what did God say? God said, go for it. And one day it came to pass that Job's fortunes and his family were wiped out in a single day. And when that ominous day came to pass, Job stood tall, and he blessed God. In Job 1.21, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job stood firm in the face of losing his wealth and his children, but then things got worse. God again suggested Job to the devil. And the devil said, you know, well, God, you let me take all of his stuff and his kids. But the man still has his health. Let me add him. Let me, let me touch him. And then he'll curse you to your face. And God said... Once again, go for it. Have at it. Just spare his life. You can hurt him. You just can't take him. One day it came to pass. Job was afflicted with festering, oozing boils, painful, hurt beyond anything I think we can imagine. And Job still stood tall. He said this in Job chapter 2, verse 10. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this Job did not sin in what he said. So in the face of all of this suffering, Job was holding on to his integrity, to his faith, and he wasn't cursing God. But then we read on Job's three friends who came supposedly to encourage him and lift him and share in his suffering. His three friends came to their hurting friend 
And they began to talk to him. And as they talked to him, they shared their understanding of how things work. And they concluded for Job to have all this trouble in his life, to have this much happen, there must be a reason. And they accused Job of sinning against God. They were sure, they were absolutely positive he was hiding some uh, wicked, secret sin, and they counseled Job, confess your sin, confess it, come clean before God. And here it began this real test in Job's life. He had had all this pain and suffering, but it seems like here is where the big construction project occurred. And it wasn't so much in the loss of all his wealth and his family and even his health, but it was in the search for a cause, the, the, the search for a reason, the attempt to understand what in the world is happening. He had the why questions and how did this happen and how long is this going to go on? And his friends, they said, the answers must lie in your closet somewhere. You've, you've got some skeleton. You have some secret hidden sin. But his friends were wrong. God had taken the initiative. The friends thought, and the only explanation they had for Job's suffering, that God was punishing him for his sin. Now, when all these troubles began in Job's life, he had remained strong. He had remained connected to God. In all that he said, initially, we read he didn't sin. But as his friends accused him and pressured him to admit wrongdoing, Job began to get defensive. And he began to waver in his confidence in God. And then he broke. And he was in need of a real restoration. He was in need of a, a fix. He was in need of some serious rebuilding. He, was, he needed a big fix. And I see the, the situation in Job's life sort of like this, like this video of a bridge. Now here, this is the Tacoma's Narrow Bridge in 1940. Stands tall. Everybody adores it. This is the first day it opened. And they had this grand ceremony. But then the winds of uh, Puget Sound began to blow a little bit. And look at what happened to the bridge. It started to shake. It started to move. These strong steel girders, look at them. They look like rubber. The winds one day stayed sustained. In November of 1940, at 40 miles per hour, and this bridge started shaking and shaking, and it continued to shake. How long could it stand the pressure? How long would it stay strong and stand firm against the wind that was blowing against it? Would it stay forever? Would it stay and, and not suffer loss? As it continued to shake and shimmy and blow in the wind, stresses began to build, fatigue began to set in, and then suddenly, suddenly, something 
drastically changed on this, this swaying Shimeon Bridge and catastrophic failure occurred. Uh, the, the, the great bridge fell into the sound. And there it stood, broken. Its connection from one side to the other, completely, completely gone. And to me, this is like the story in Job's life. He's sort of like this Tacoma Narrows Bridge. At first, a wonder to behold, staying strong. And if we see one side of the bridge is heaven and the other side is earth, Job had and maintained strongly that earth to heaven connection. He honored God and he could say, I'm connected. But when his friends began to accuse him and Job became indignant and he declared his innocence, things began to change. Job's friends were wrong, but so was Job. He had no better explanation than his friends. He saw that what was occurring in his life was God's punishment for the wicked. He couldn't come up with anything else. But yet he insisted he was righteous. He insisted his suffering was an injustice for which God blamed him. And he became so embittered in sort of the winds of these accusations of his friends, he accused God of abandoning him and being his enemy. And Job said things like this. He, he said in Job 13, God, why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? You can see his attitude has changed. And he went further in his accusations against God. In Job 16, we read this. Surely, God, you have worn me out, Job says. You have devastated my entire household. You have shriveled me up, and it has become a witness. My gauntness rises up and testifies against me. God assails me and tears me in his anger and gnashes his teeth at me. My opponent fast, fastens on me his piercing eyes. And Job was all wrong. He was wrong in his characterization of God. He was driven by his pain and his suffering, compounded by the humiliation of his accusing friends. You know, their, you know, their wind, their hot air, if you will. And Job turned and he accused God of abandonment. He said, God, you're my adversary. You have hid your face. You consider me an enemy. But was God angry with Job? God, you're angry with me. You've assailed me. You've devastated me. You attack me. You tear me up. You, you've got these piercing eyes and these gnashing teeth. You're ripping me. But he had it all wrong. And we've talked about that in the past weeks. God wasn't angry. God had taken the initiative and said, hey, 
Have you considered my righteous servant, Job? God was watching Job. God was with him. God was working something in him. We talked about this, that through his suffering, God was speaking to Job. So we can come to the conclusion the righteous do suffer. But their suffering is not always a judgment. It's not a judgment for sin, but it's this divine work of God, a divine construction, if you will, a refining process initiated by the creator. God's God's working. And Job's friends were all wrong. And then Job was wrong too. And he had no better explanation for his suffering. He saw this as an injustice, insisted he was righteous. And he blamed God, he lashed out at God. And his connection with God was broken. He was in need of a major repair. A great chasm now laid between him and God. How great a chasm laid there between him and God. Like that collapsed bridge. Job needed a big fix. And he he actually dreamed of it. He dreamed of what this fix could be. He imagined what it could be like. And these words are telling from Job chapter 9, verses 33 to 35, with Job sort of dreaming. He said, if, there were, if only there were someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together fix the bridge someone to remove God's rod from me so that his terror would frighten me no more then I would speak up without fear of him but as it now stands with me I cannot the man had become so embittered and he took out his anger and his pain on God And yet he longed for something, and not just something. He longed for someone, if only. Can you feel his his desperation? If only, if only a mediator, someone to go between us, someone to stand between me and God then I wouldn't be afraid anymore. And then I could talk to God. But where am I right now? As it stands right now, I can't. Not only couldn't he talk to God, he felt like God was his enemy. And, and yet he longed for this help. He longed for a helper. If only, if only, if only... Now that would be the big fix that I need. And what Job was longing for, it's part of all of us. It's part of our human nature. There isn't a person who's tough enough. There isn't a a person who's hard enough. There isn't a person who's independent enough at some point or another to have that need that Job expressed, that need for a go-between. Oh yeah, and some people... They put on that hard exterior. They might seem like iron, that nothing can penetrate them. 
They're strong and they're sturdy and they're never ever willing to admit the need on the outside. But I'll tell you, everyone at one point or another, no matter how hard they seem on the outside, in their innermost thoughts, in their deepest, most private deliberations, they're saying this. They're saying what Job said. If only, if only there was someone to help me make that connection I know there's a God. I know I need this help. I need this connection. And then Job, he spoke of it even uh, more. In Job 16, after he had turned against God and he had accused God of assailing him and gnashing him and piercing him with those eyes and tearing him up in his anguish, Job again hoped for a helper. This is Job 16, 18 to 19. Job said, earth, do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now, my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. Here's a man desperate, a man in despair. God seemed so distant I don't know if any of you have ever felt that way, that God seemed so distant. He couldn't find God, yet he still held out hope. He, cl- he clung to, to some faith. And with that faith, albeit a confused faith, there was a hope that somehow, some way, someone could help Job and he could be vindicated. And he makes this appeal First to creation. And it's kind of interesting. Job appeals to the earth. It may be rhetorical, but can you feel the man's desperation? Oh, earth, don't cover my blood. In other words, don't don't mute me. Don't bury me in the grave. As much as Job had expressed that he wanted to die and that his life wasn't worth living, He's expressing this desire to live. And he says, I got something. I got something to say. Don't cover me, earth. Don't cover my blood. And then he appealed to heaven. He wanted this earth to heaven connection. And he said, I know my witness is in heaven. And my helper, my advocate, my mediator is on high. Job invokes both earth and heaven, and he declared what we all need. We need this earth to heaven connection. We need the help. We need a fix to what is broken, this broken connection. There had been a major catastrophe in his life. There had been this catastrophic failure of his connection with God, and he needed repair. And in so many words, he described the solution that he longs for, and he describes it a second time. He says, I need this mediator on high. He hoped for one who could stand in between man and God. And his hope became a declaration that such a helper existed, an advocate who could bridge the gap and fix the void that existed between Job and God. And in his misery, in his despair, in his desperation, Job could only hope for such an advocate. 
Now, where are we? We, on the other hand, know the mediator. We know the intercessor. We know that the advocate has come to earth. The one in whom Job hoped for has a name. His hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is the great mediator. Jesus is the one who stands between man and God. Jesus is the one who can fix the issue. He made a way to bridge the separation between human and God from earth to heaven in a beautiful divine plan. God took the initiative. God made the decision, as he always does. And he decided to take on human flesh, as bizarre as that might sound. The creator of the universe decided to become like the creation and deal with what separated mankind from God. Job's situation is just a big illustration of it. Mankind is separated from God, and the reason is called sin. Every person, every person from Adam to Job to me and you have sinned. And it caused a catastrophe, a break, a collapse. And it's as, it's as catastrophic as that image of the bridge. It needs, it needs major, enormous repair. It needs... Uh, a, a huge fix for this brokenness. And it's only through Christ that anyone can be reconciled with God to live in his presence in heaven, to make that earth-to-heaven connection. Jesus declared his role as the bridge, the connection. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the one and only connection. And he came precisely to fill the need that Job of the Old Testament was longing for. Job was in that place of fear and desperation and despondency, and he thought, God is nowhere. God's gone. He's against me. He wants to hurt me. He's turned his back on me, and he hoped for a helper. Couldn't there be someone who could go between me and God? And he longed for the one that we know is available to every single one of us, Jesus. When you're in that place of fear and despair, when it seems you can't talk to God, your hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. Most of us, most all of us here, we know that. We've come to him. We've yielded our lives to Jesus Christ. And I want to ask, has that cured all your suffering? Have you been absolutely 100% delivered from every experience of loss and despair? Are you living every single moment of your life now without fear? And I venture to say the answer to that is no. No, truth be told, we've come to Jesus. We've received the assurance for eternal life. And yet we still have those days, don't we? We have those days of pain and strife and hurt and agony. Then what? 
we got to be reminded in those times. We've got to be reminded in those moments. Jesus. Jesus. When Jesus walked this earth, so many times he said, don't be afraid. And I could go on and on. I could, I could share verse after verse, scripture after scripture, event after event. But I kept being drawn to this one passage from Matthew's gospel. And I just believe somebody here, you need this. You need to hear it. You need to be reminded of it. And it's Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Jesus saying this, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is not eyes piercing. This is not teeth gnashing. This is, come on, I'm gentle, and I want to take you in. And rest for our souls, yeah, it points to eternity. But you know, we need this rest every single day that we're on this earth. But we carry things, don't we? We carry burdens. We might be suffering, trying to suffer quietly. We might be in a test of our faith. We might be having what we call a Job experience. We might feel like we're in this major construction project. And we can become distanced from God. It can happen. The pain, the agony, the suffering, the experience, the carrying of it all can distract us from God and distance us from, from the Lord. We might even believe he's turned against us. You know, that we, 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 haven't, we haven't a relationship at all, that our connection's been lost. But if we believe, if we believe that we have the ultimate, the, the biggest fix of all, that we've been spared through the ministry and the intercession and the mediation of Jesus Christ, that we've been spared from the fires, from the pit of hell, from everlasting regret and from eternal separation from God, don't we believe that Jesus can bridge that gap every single day that we need it? Don't we believe that we, can, we, we, we got that today? Of course, of course, he can take the burden that you're carrying today. Job lived his life before the cross of Christ, not after as we do. So God dealt with him differently. God dealt with him directly and, and taught him. And that construction in Job's life, it came to a conclusion when Job admitted his sin and he repented sincerely. And then God said something to him. There was this post-construction event, if you will, after the project. Job was used by God. His pain and his suffering were not in vain. There was a purpose. There was a purpose beyond him. At the conclusion of the book of Job, after Job repented, God dealt with Job's friends. And he asked Job, to minister to his friends. He said, pray for them. He said this in Job 42, verse eight, my servant Job will pray for you 
and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. Because Job spoke the truth. He said, Lord, I, I was saying things I didn't know. I spoke out of turn. He said things like, God's my enemy. And he's an adversary. And he said, I repent. Job's pain is learning the repentance. It led to ministry, to Job helping his friends. Now, sometimes we think the purpose and the pain is all about us. But God might want us to use that, learn from it, and minister to others. And it reminds me of another character in the New Testament, a close friend of Jesus. His name was Simon Peter. And you know, Simon Peter was so close to Jesus, he said, I'll go to the mat for you. I'll die for you. But Jesus told him, you got a test coming. And Luke recorded it in his gospel this way. It's Luke 22. Jesus' words, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, this was very similar to Job, wasn't it? Satan was asking to sift the man, to strike the man. And he got permission to do so because he did. And Jesus knew it would be a great test. But he also knew those Simon's faith would be tested greatly. It wouldn't fail completely. And Jesus told him straight up, you're going to deny me? You're going to say you don't even know me three times before the rooster even crows in the morning? But his faith wouldn't totally fail. He knew Peter would turn back. And he said, Peter, when you've turned back, minister to your brothers. Strengthen them. Don't let the experience be for nothing. Learn from it. Turn back to Jesus. Hope has a name. His name's Jesus. When you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now we have access to this one who can bridge the gap from earth to heaven. We have access to the only one that can repair the breach and make the fix. Share him. Strengthen others with Jesus. Just like Job ministered to his friends after being sifted like wheat. Just like Peter was to strengthen his brothers. Strengthen others and remind yourself, remind yourself, you got the fix? You have the fix to keep you connected from here to heaven. You have Jesus. Because another sifting may be on the way. It might be frightening to think about, but Satan might ask to sift us like wheat. Are we going to stay connected to Jesus? When a burden comes along, a bed of pain might come, and then that burden begins to weigh you down. But before it breaks your connection with God, remember, we already have the fix. We have Jesus. 
Take it to Jesus. The weight, the weariness, bring it to him every single day. He has rest for your burden. I need that reminder. We all need that reminder. I, I, I have my, my times. I had a week this week that really pushed me down. I don't like that kind of thing. I don't like feeling that burden and that weight. And I had a really bad day. And Julie, she prayed for me. And she tried to encourage me. She said, you got to stop carrying this. But I was carrying it. I was carrying it, and I did not want to put it down. And uh, this night last week where it was heavy on me, she said, why don't you just go to bed? I, I like, I'm a night person. I stay up late. So I said, all right, I'll just go to bed. But when I went to bed, I didn't go to bed without Finally, just giving it up to Jesus. You know, I had to encourage myself. I had to preach it to myself. I had to remind myself, he'll take this burden. And I, and, and yes, she prayed for me and that was helpful. And then I prayed. I really, truly just said, Lord, you take this. You help me. You can carry this. And I had a much better day the next day. She actually said that to me, too. She said, you're having a better day. I said, yes, I am. Because <laughs> I got the earth to heaven connection. His name's Jesus. My hope has a name. And sometimes I got to remind myself of that. Do you have to remind yourself of that? Do you need a reminder this morning? Is there anybody in the house that you might be, you might have something that's weighing you down a little bit? Or maybe you think I'm a fool. Because you're saying, who is this Jesus? How could he even do this? You've never really even yielded your life. Let me tell you, I know deep in your heart, you have had that time where you're saying, oh, if there were only a way for me to get to God, his name's Jesus. And he can make the connection for you. I would just want to invite you all to stand. And if there's anyone in, in, the, in the sanctuary this morning that needs prayer, you'd like prayer. You'd like this prayer that I received. I'm going to say, come down here to, these, to, to the front here, to these altar rails. We have, we have some people here who would pray with you. We have workers. We have deacons. We have elders, we have altar workers, and I, I'll, I want to invite them to come down because I know there's some in here that need prayer. I'll tell you what, I need it. I need it. I received it earlier this week, but you know, I still need it. I still need it. I still need to say I, I carry this stuff sometimes, and Lord, help me today, right now, in this moment, and I need that prayer. So, team, sing. Sing as, as we go to prayer because I'm going down here and I'm asking someone to pray for me this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you that thou art 
our great, great repair. You've brought us back to God, and we thank you for that. Lord, for anyone in here who might still be struggling with that, who hasn't really grasped on to that, you, Jesus, make that connection from heaven to earth. I pray, Lord, that hearts would turn even now, right now in this sanctuary. Lord, if there's anyone who's saying, I need that, I need that, God, go to them, minister to them. And Lord, for all of us who need that reminder daily to yield and to give up our burdens to Jesus and to be reminded that he is our strength, God, I pray that you would pour that into us, carry us, God, that you would bless every person in this house with that great confidence. God, as we go, help us to share it, to share him, to use the experiences, the struggles, to minister to others. Though we might feel we've been sifted by Satan, God, we've come through because Jesus is with us. And help us to share him, share the repair. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. We just pray that blessing on all who are here. Carry us, Lord, till we come back. In Jesus' holy and precious name, amen.